Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loris College. We're all about financial planning in this episode, discussing the financial planning and wealth management minor and the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the profession. I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications. Joining me to lend their expertise are a pair of Loris alumni, Brian Callback, Assistant Professor of Finance, and Jamie McDonald, Certified Financial Planner and Co-Owner of Core Investments Group, LLC in Dubuque. Brian, Jamie, welcome to the Dewhawk Digest. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. How is your summer going so far? It's been busy trying to get ready for this the fall here and with all the different uh, options that school might have and uh, just trying to figure out what the world looks like um, once the students hit campus. So yeah, been been very busy. Kind of an ever-changing landscape at this point, right? It is. It's a summer to remember. So <laughs> from a professional, parent, every angle you... Uh, consumer every angle you look at things everything's different this summer so yeah so let's let's start with brian let's start with you and kind of do an overview of the financial planning and wealth management program um so for students who are looking to pursue it at loris what what can they expect for students who are looking to pursue the the program at loris uh, first thing to know is that uh, any major any path uh, is possible so there there isn't a requirement that students be finance majors or business majors. It, from my experience in the planning world, and, I, and Jamie could probably attest to this as well, but you know, we work, have worked with planners who have come from all different professions in the past, whether you know, former John Deere engineers, former teachers. Uh, you know, the, the, so we wanted to mimic that at, at the campus here. And so for students that are looking to pursue the program, uh, the first thing they should know is that there, there isn't a prerequisite that you have to be a business major to be in financial planning. Uh, and then the other thing is it's a six-class minor, um, so you can start from your first semester as a freshman, and the point of the six classes is that they align with the CFP board's uh, requirement for what needs to be taught. We are a CFP-registered program, which means that when students graduate from Loris, they're able to sit for the exam. Um, and actually, when they finish the program, I should clarify that, when they finish the program at Loris, they can sit for the exam. You don't have to graduate to sit for the exam because uh, we have one junior to be senior that's going to sit for the exam in November. So um, I should clarify that. So uh, the point, though, is that you know, when, when I was working in wealth management, I had to go through all these classes uh, because I, I didn't graduate from a registered program um, and before I could sit for the exam. Well, now our students won't have to do that. They can sit for the exam upon finishing the program. And I would say the other thing is that we try to really maintain some, some good industry contacts. Uh, you know, Jamie's a good example of that. And uh, so we really dive into the students. You know, so students coming into the program uh, should expect that they're going to get a lot of attention, uh, a lot of one-on-one. We really want to make sure we get to know them as people so that as we look at internships and future career placement, we can help try to place them in a, in a business, that uh, an organization that's going to be a good fit for who they are as a person and what they value. Is there a lot of hands-on experience available to them as they go through? There is, and we're very, very fortunate for our alumni community and our friends uh, that they're the first place I go when I have a student who's interested. Uh, you know, Jamie will probably talk about this further, but you know, with two, one graduate and uh, one recent graduate from our program and one intern there currently, I mean, we, we go out to the community and say, I've got a student who's interested, and uh, 
who you know not necessarily it's not a blanket email but uh, we try to really direct them to what we know of them and what we know of these companies okay so what what opportunities are out there so when they go into the field they they come here they get their yeah they get their degree and then what's out there for them well, for the students that really want to pursue financial planning, the, the opportunity is to become a, a financial planner. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of different routes into that. Um, you know, some of these companies, I think it depends whether they go end up with a, a larger company or a smaller company, mid-sized company. Um, what I found with, with many of our Duvox is they came to Loris because they like the community atmosphere. They like the um, opportunity for engagement and leadership. And so a lot of them, at least with our recent grads, have ended up at uh, smaller firms, mid-sized firms, where they can not get lost in the shuffle per se. That said, we do have graduates at Goldman, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs, and and other places, so uh, we don't limit them in where they want to go. The opportunities, though, would be you know, para planning could be, uh, which is you know, kind of working the back shop, uh, data entry type position, or it could be kind of an apprentice role, uh, where they they're mentored by a financial planner or CFP. Uh, there's there's a wide array of how they get into the the field, but the the end result for most of our grads uh, from the program is to uh, be end up being a financial planner okay. or wealth manager, wealth advisor, whatever term sure. you want to use. <laughs> sure. So. so Jamie, you can yes. speak directly to that in terms yes. of with with Core Investment Group. You are not the only Duhawk there. Correct. There are uh, several of us. I think we were just talking. There there are six. Uh, Duhawk connected uh, employees out of out of eight of us uh, in, in our Dubuque office, um, from myself to my partner Chad Cruzy to Joe Bernardi, partner and uh, former professor at Loris, um, Tom Meyer who's a Duhawk, um, and then we've got um, Anthony who just started with us. He was an intern and now he's full time with us, um, part of the planning program, and another intern as well that's currently a student in the program, and so. Um, and, and so it's uh, it's near and dear to our, our hearts. There, it's uh, it's not completely by coincidence that uh, <laughs> all those Duhawks are in the, the same area. Um, Brian's done a great job. Um, Loris has always done a great job with connecting alumni with students, um, but recently, more tangibly with with the program, um, he, Brian's done a great job of connecting us with students who, and he's honest about it. He'll. Um, some students aren't as a, a good connection for our office. They might be better for another office based on geography, interests, personalities, um, long-term plans. Um, but uh, he's done a great job of connecting us. And, and not only the ones that we've brought on um, as employees, but we've talked with several that had interest in working with us or just wanted to know more about the, the profession. And um, they may not have, uh, it may not have worked out for them to join us, but we've still maintained some of those relationships with helping to get them where they want to be. Um, you know, there have been some that just had some questions about what we do day to day, shadowing, things like that. Um, and so it's been a, it's been a great, great uh, relationship and partnership there. Well, and it obviously doesn't hurt when you have interns come in and suddenly they start working for you full time after they graduate. So that's correct. Not, it's it, not a bad, uh, bad really, way to go. Uh, you know, hiring any employee full time is a risk um, because anybody can interview great. Not anybody can, but many people can. Um, or a great employee might not interview well. Um, and so seeing them live, um, it, it helps a lot. Even if they didn't intern, just talking candidly with Brian and the program about how they were as students, that's an insight that you don't always get. Um, and they're again, they're honest about it, strengths, weaknesses, and 
And uh, but having them in as, as an intern it gets an incredible insight. Um, you, you can't fake it for too long in terms of work ethic and, and knowledge base and, and those things. So we know what we're getting when somebody comes on full time. Um, and, and also for us to set the right expectations for what they might want out of their career and 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 uh, and, and the skill sets, too, that they they learn through the program. Um, we can go into that more in depth as well. But just things like the software that we use, um, they can come in with the ground running because they've used it on campus, um, in some cases teaching us new things. Um, and so yeah, it's been overall a very good partnership. Okay, let's dig into that coursework a little bit in terms of obviously some of the, Jay mentioned software. What is it that uh, specifically that they are really getting the experience to move forward with? And before I answer that, I want to mention one thing. Jamie mentioned Joe Bernardi, and uh, you know he and John Upstrom were really the impetus for this program. I mean, when we hit the ground running on campus here three years ago, talking to the alumni community, so many of them were inspired by John and Joe and became financial planners, you know, even though there wasn't a program at the time, you know, just the passion for planning. I mean, Joe worked in the field while he taught here. John completely supported the program as the, uh, the department chair. And uh, those two, uh, we should get a lot of thanks for this program because they started it and, uh, and have supported it even to this day. We stay in contact with both of them. So, um, so huge thanks to the two of them. And I'll piggyback on that as well because I have uh, firsthand experience also that they were, they were the two finance professors while I was a student here. Um, and the, the two of them really complemented each other well, much like the, the program now. Um, where, like you said, Joe had some of the, the industry experience real time and, and John is an unbelievable teacher and, and mentor and, and uh, those are relationships that I still maintain today, obviously with, with Joe, mm-hmm. but John as well. Um, and they, it's been a building block over many decades and, and it's really exciting to see it continuing on that, that path. Yeah, we wouldn't have the strong connection that we use for our students today uh, you know, when I call these alums and talk to them about our program, that the, one of the first things they mention is John and Joe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, big thanks to those two for starting uh, the, the momentum that we have today. From the content question, uh, I believe what Jamie's referencing on the software. So, eMoney Advisor and Money Guide Pro are the two, uh, based on a, a recent survey I saw, at least uh, I think it was 37, 38% of financial planning uh, firms across the country. Uh, use e-money uh, or money guide so basically over 70 percent of the firms use those two software programs and um, we're able to get a free license as a university so uh, both e-money and money guide are available to our students for free and so i use those in every single class for in the program so in each class that the students have with us their semester-long project is to uh, they, they have to create a, a case study. So we, we give them instruction on how to write a case study, some of the information to include, some of the pitfalls potentially, and then we trade those, uh, those case studies. So it's like the, the students don't know that they're, they're not creating the one that they have to work on. They then trade them amongst their peers, and that way they're able to kind of mimic someone walking into their office someday. The first step in that process is to start adding the information into both eMoney and Money Guide. And I tell the students ahead of time, you know, yeah, there's going to be a lot of duplication here. These are two companies that, while they do have differences, you know, they're essentially doing the same thing. They're, they're entering data to get some type of output. Um, but that the, the career aspect of doing this twice is more beneficial than 
kind of the hours they're going to put in doing it. And I, they're starting to see that when, you know, as, as Jamie comes on campus or they now they're starting to talk to people like Anthony, who who works for Jamie and, um, you know, other graduates who are using these tools and word gets around that, you know, this this is the tool that, you know, I'm going to use. And when we talk to employers, I was talking to um, one of our members, uh, one of our members of the alumni community, and he was talking about how they recently hired a student from, uh, we'll just say a large state school in Iowa, and they spent the first six months training them how to use e-money. And I said to him, hey, you need to hire a Duhok next time because our kids know how to use these tools right when they walk in. And they have direct, you know, I'm just speaking on e-money and money guide. We also use Riskalyze, which is an uh, investment management tool to assess the risk of a portfolio. Uh, they also have access to that for free. So it's just a, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for them because we talked to them about putting those on their LinkedIn profile, on their cover letters, their resumes that they have direct knowledge. And when I look at job descriptions for financial planning, uh, entry level financial planning firms, you know, they're looking for e-money experience or money guide experience. And so um, for the, our students to be able to use these tools in six classes uh, is, I think, very beneficial to their development. Um, you know, and then the con from the content side, I mean, we, we hit the 72 principal knowledge topics that, you know, we have to hit it to be required from the CFP board. But um, I, I think our Loris mission, the values that we put forth as a college, uh, I would say really define what the students pick up more. We try to help them understand that there is, there's no way they're going to remember everything. There's just so much to know, and uh, they're going to have to look things up when they get into the field. I mean, um, and so if we can teach them to at least be aware of everything and then, you know, know as much as they can, but be aware of everything so they can have an intelligent conversation, um, you know, then, then that will, uh, that will help them out. I think more than trying to uh, just memorize information, we want them to become a holistic planner where they're, they're comfortable with the content, but they're, they're also comfortable communicating with clients. They, uh, they get practice in every class running a financial planning meeting, so we want them to be comfortable uh, talking to people. Uh, we, we get very nitpicky <laughs> with things like eye contact and body language, not relying on technology, um, so that they can be very comfortable. And, um, and then finally, just the aspect of a fiduciary, um, that you, know, you came to Loris because of a certain mindset, uh, certain uh, values that you hold, and those don't end when you become a financial planner. That, you know, if you believe in serving others, then that's what you do as a planner. I mean, it's my job is to help a client uh, reach their goals and objectives. And that's, that's the utmost role that I have. And uh, for our students to see that versus maybe sometimes how the media portrays planners or the, the bad stories that they hear that, you know, most planners are out there serving others and serving their communities. And that's why you become a financial planner is because you like working with people and you, you're willing to, to serve them. So... Um, that's kind of a long-winded answer to the content question, but to me, a lot of that stuff is more primary than the actual content. Not that the content's not important, mm -hmm. but you know, we're trying to develop uh, responsible decision makers, community. I mean, whatever you know, the, the mission and, and whatnot. But you know, we, we want them to be holistic. We want them to be well-rounded, and uh, uh, you know, as Jamie said, you know, they can come in from day one and participate. Yeah, well, and again, no two clients are the same. Every client is different. So having that wide range of knowledge or at least background to that, they can at least reference mentally and like know like, well, I can go back and check it. But I do have, have learned that, have experience with all these different 
options in terms of software and different experiences in terms of internships that's right. that goes a long way especially right off right out the gate when they're they're looking for a job so we really have co deep conversations with the kids about their internships and whether they liked them or not it's a win because if they didn't like the internship then they know you know they, they know what firm they may not want to work for they know what type of firm or you know and so we we have these reflective reflective conversations with them so that they know that they're not failures, you know, that it wasn't a waste of a summer or a semester or whatever it might be. And then it helps me because then when I'm talking to people like Jamie, I can say, well, they worked here or they worked here. They seem to be a good fit for you or maybe they're not a good fit for you. But, you know, if you, you wouldn't mind buying them a cup of coffee and, and helping them understand that, you know, it those conversations. And that's the beauty of Loris, right, is that I'm here because I can dive into the kids and really get to know them and build relationships with them so that, I can help them. They're not just numbers. They're not just names on a roster. The, the, the ability to know them, and then to stay in touch with them, as you know, as, as, as Jamie and I have. I mean, it, it that's the fun of being mm -hmm. here, and and we can really help kids that way. Mm -hmm. so. so, and then between the two of you, I've got a question for both of you. I, as I know you, you've been able to come on campus, you've worked with interns, obviously you're seeing all these students, Brian. Uh, what kind of contact do you have once they leave? What what's the so they're not basically walking off and they're just kind of, you know, good luck, kid, you know, see what you do. I mean, there's there's a there's a network behind them, correct? Mm -hmm. There is. Um, you know, we've had our, our first intern, um, we still keep in contact with him, run into him periodically. He works in Chicago right now with a, a large firm there. Um, and he'll come back to, to town for different events, and we'll, we'll see him there. Um, There's some that still um, live in, in Dubuque, and so we'll run into them from time to time. And, and uh, we're always uh, excited and, and willing to um, help out any, any alum, whether they were ones that we, we, we came across directly or not. But uh, I think that's one thing that's, that's uh, very special about Loris. And so um, sometimes we have to consciously you know, nurture those relationships, but uh, um, we could all do better with that. But I think Laura certainly does a great job with it, and and we've we've seen a lot of that. So. And we're we're looking to build a community of community of Duhawks that that love working in financial planning, and um, and so staying in touch with them is is very important for me. I mean, I I don't want to lose touch with them. Uh, we had our first class graduate this spring. Uh, eight students graduated with. Uh, the in the financial planning program and um, so we've had contact with them uh, as they started their jobs many of them are working remotely now um, but you know we've been in contact with all of them uh, whether through LinkedIn or through email or through text and um, or through dinner you know we, we want them to know that our service to them doesn't end when they graduate that, that we're always invested in who they are and that they're always welcome on campus they're always welcome to reach out to us uh, but at the same time now that they graduate now they're in Jamie's shoes, right? So we're going to have future graduates. And I want to be able to go to them and say, you've had this experience. Here's, you know, Jimmy, he's got, he's graduating or he's looking for an internship. Can you help him out? You know, so we want to build this community. And um, it's very exciting. I, I know it's with homecoming canceled this year. Well, uh, online, virtual, I, you know, I want to say canceled, but uh, I mean, I was looking forward to seeing these graduates come back this year and because they're our first class. So trying to stay in touch with them, um, I think, is going to be very exciting over the years as they, they pursue their career and start families. And um, so, yes, we try very hard to stay 
in contact with those who, who wish to stay in contact with us. Yeah. Kind of keeping up the adage of Dewhawks helping Dewhawks, right? Right. That's absolutely. Right. So we you touched on this very early on when we first started talking about the pandemic and kind of the on some of the uncertainty a little bit about in terms of the, actually the course of the, teaching the classes right now. Obviously, in the spring we had to shift to online only. Mm-hmm. How did that go? How would how did that how did that transition go for you guys and for your students? I use a lot of online as it is mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how my classes are structured. I think the the part that f- fell off in the spring was the the contact. Uh, I mean, we had Zoom meetings, we did a, a few synchronous um, class sessions, and uh, but. I, with the, the tight turnaround and, and that's, you know, it, it just was the reality of it. I mean, we had, you know, five days to essentially adjust to life online. And, um, you know, so for me, it wasn't so much putting stuff out there because most of our assignments were already out there. And uh, it was more trying to figure out how to stay in touch with every student. And uh, it, that was difficult. And mm-hmm. so we've spent a lot of time this summer uh, trying to figure out what the fall looks like. Uh, how do we do this? I have one class that's going to be online 100%, uh, and then three others that are hybrid. So um, just working through the the aspects that all the things that I mentioned before in this podcast about relationship building and connecting with the students, that we can still do that despite the, the hybrid or the online environment. I mean, that's very important to the college that uh, we don't lose that Loris community because we're not an online school. Mm-hmm. We're a residential, you know, Jim says it all the time, you know, we're a, we're a residential campus. And um, while that may not be the case this spring or, or this fall and, you know, we'll see how long, but uh, it's of primary importance that we maintain contact with the students and that engagement. And so, you know, as I prepared for the classes, just trying to figure out how that works uh, and what that looks like. So, and it's been it's been challenging. There's no precedent for this. There's no book to read or, uh, you know, you just got to uh, Eric Eller, you know, the uh, another finance professor and Michelle Kruger, um, the other finance professor. We've stayed in touch uh, this summer and thrown ideas back and forth, uh, gotten together a few times to try to figure out what the world looks like for the mm-hmm. finance team. And uh, you know, so it's been been a challenge. So the experience might be a little bit of, bit different, but ultimately the it's all there. It's just going to be right. a little different than, than, than normal. So. Right. It's all there. And I've <clears throat> been very fortunate to have Dalton education. I've worked for Dalton in the past. You know, they're a CFP review provider. Um, so just seeing how they structure, because they're 100% online. So seeing how they structure their courses, uh, what the paces of the topics, um, you know, it, we have our own materials and our own textbooks, but just trying to see, you know, maybe what they're looking at, what they're doing. Um, to as a guide uh, to be 100 because one of the class that's 100 percent online is personal tax planning which for a lot of cfp students that that's a challenging course and there's a lot of information so just working on how how do we effectively teach that online um, you know i've had some guides with uh, the professional community so that's been helpful I think as, you know, just what I observing as an alum and, and as a student um, when online was not not a not a common thing, um, I think one common thing is is that Loris has always been the relationships is, is the important part. And and I don't think there's any college out there that does relationships better, if that's a correct phrase, um, making those connections. And while the online part of it, um, you know, as a finance guy, I think about, boy, you could look at option A or B, which might cost less or look differently. Um, but then I think about, you know, those those options um, can't make those kind of connections like Loris can. So while you, it might be, 
you know, more challenging with some of the online pieces, you can still make those connections. Um, things like the connections that I had when I was here, um, you know, accountability, both personal and academic accountability, you can still have those um, pieces online. So having a professor that's going to follow up with you and, 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 and check in on you to make sure everything's okay. If something's not getting turned in, it's going to get noticed. Um, so kind of keeping those things on the radar, which, you know, at a bigger university, you might not, might not get those things. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so I think uh, I'm, I'm excited to see. I, I, Loris, Loris does these things well, and so I'm excited to see how, how the, the whole campus adapts and, and I think teaches kind of leads the way um, with, with some of these new, new, new realities we're in, which some are temporary, mm -hmm. some will be permanent, mm -hmm. I think. So. Yeah, and there's a, there is a positive to this, onla this, this, this online emphasis because once the pandemic's over if from my mind now I've got a bunch of resources that I can use online to make then when I am in class uh, maybe a bit more hands-on a bit more case study driven kind of a flipped classroom approach where I've already have the content online the students can drive that and then when I have them in class again it, it is more experiential so I do think that um, there's a positive here and, and if if we think about it in that way, we're not just building a semester's worth of material here. We're building resources that we can use for the rest of our teaching career. Uh, and so I think in the end, I, over the long term, I think this is going to make us better. Um, it's going to make us more, uh, say, more technological, per se. But uh, to Jamie's point, without losing that relationship aspect, I think it's just going to change the classroom environment to be potentially less lecture-driven and more problem-solving, case study, critical thinking type mm -hmm. discussions. So I think that the, there, there will be a positive that comes from this online push. Yeah, well, and taking kind of a wider view, not just within the classroom, but within the industry itself, mm -hmm. do you see more of a trend to an online, obviously we're kind of forced to at this point, but do you see that kind of carrying forward in the industry in terms of financial planning? It's online meetings. It's more of a virtual virtual planning discussion with clients as opposed to, all right, come into the office and that's how we make it work. From my perspective, I would say yes. I think in a lot of ways this has just accelerated something that might have happened over the next five years into a three-month period. <laughs> um, you know, we've the technology's been there for some of the things we're doing right now. Um, you know, Skype has been around, WebExes and those kinds of things. But it wasn't until this pandemic where if we would offer something that up like that up to a client, where they would, uh, and, and Zoom is our, the one we use more often now, um, where clients would, would not only say, yes, I'd be open to that, but yes, I just did that with a friend or my mother in a nursing home or something along those lines to where there's no age or technology gap anymore, or a lot smaller one anyway. And so I, I don't see that as replacing what we do. Mm -hmm. In the short term, it has to some extent. Um, but I do see it supplementing what we do to where, um, you know, we have clients in Chicago and all over the country. And, um, you know, we just this past week, we've had meetings with clients in South Dakota and Chicago and Texas. And, um, you know, some of those, you know, Chicago, we, we still go plan to go in there a lot. But if we can, if it's a, you know, we're covering a topic that might not be as in-depth. It's not only is it more convenient for us, but we're finding some clients are finding it more convenient for them where they mm -hmm. can log in from their office and take a half an hour instead of carving out two hours in their day to get somewhere and, and meet with somebody. Again, um, not replacing what we do, but but supplementing it. And so 
between the the it's amazing the and I was a little bit skeptical with with some of some of it to be honest um, but the connection where you can do a a web zoom or a, a, a webcam um, zoom versus just a phone part of it just to be able to see people it makes a big difference mm-hmm. and and then to be adding in screen sharing and not to get into the weeds too much, but uh, uh, you can really conduct a lot of a lot of things in that regard. And so, I, like I said, I don't think it's, um, I, I don't want that to go, I, I still prefer uh, um, in person, um, but to be able to supplement it with that mm-hmm. is, is, is very nice. Okay. In terms of working with the clients, not just the, the technology, but also the, the impact that the pandemic has had. Obviously, every client's different, um, but is are you seeing something or just kind of some trends now that kind of the way the impact that the pandemic has had that you're seeing that, well, this is really, really changing things a little bit and how you kind of um, like, I guess, in terms of how people plan moving yeah, I, forward? I think, I think so. Um, at the same time, history kind of tends to repeat itself or rhyme a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anytime we have any kind of uncertainty, there's always the, um, people get nervous and, and, and our biggest role, I think in, in that regard is, is kind of wading through the noise and, and filtering it down into something that's, um, rational and, and, and fact-based and, and, um, non-emotional based if that's if that's the right term but you know looking at it from a, a, a calm perspective um, you know one big thing right now is things are very polarized so try not to jump into that and just kind of okay what does this mean for the decisions we need to make mm-hmm. um, and not not jumping on one side or the other or whatever issue it might be um, it, so it's a unique time um, but similar Fundamentals, I would say that we've always had. In, in 2008, with the financial credit crisis, there were um, a lot of nervous people, and, and so we saw a lot of that in the, in the spring again. Um, but kind of taking a step back and looking long term with with clients, I, mm-hmm. I think is is um, is is something that that is timeless. Um, clients um, do have a lot more access to information. And so we do find our, ourselves responding to questions of pieces of information a lot more than we used to. Um, sometimes having to, you know, affirm or deny a certain claim, um, which can be a delicate um, process. But um, so I think that is something that will evolve um, as as we see clients getting more information, not necessarily mm-hmm. better information. If you take a step back at our industry back in the 70s, 80s. Um, an advisor's role was really to get access to information. Clients didn't have access to some of the tools that we all um, have or had back then. Now clients can get access to just about anything that we can. We don't have any special keys or anything to information online. So now it's more of a matter of wading through that information and, and pointing out what's relevant, what's not, what to focus on and what and what's not. Sure. So everybody having that in having that information at their fingertips is a bit of a blessing, bit of a curse. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So in terms of the pandemic itself, I mean, where where you have a financial uh, collapse, things like that, you can kind of see the trends coming here and that pandemic's kind of its own monster here. And I mean, you don't see it coming. You don't know how long it's going to last. How do you plan for something like this? Or how do you navigate through this type of situation, which is clearly different than than other things that we've experienced in our lifetimes. 
it is. It's it's unique, um, you know. And so we we it's important, I think, to have empathy and sympathy for clients when you're talking to them because a lot of the conversations just start about out about what's personally going on in their lives. Their kids are at home. They're trying to work from home. They've got all these things. Um, and so we talk through that and, and, and have an understanding there and, and empathy, sympathy there, um, because we might be going through some of the same things as well. And, and, and then it's saying, okay, how does this financially impact? Because that's really at the end of the day what our job is. So how does this financially impact things? So is your, is your job in jeopardy? If so, what are some contingency plans? Um, investments, do we need to make adjustments? Um, in many cases, we've hopefully done our homework leading up to that. To, to we, so it's, it's more of a matter of explaining what we've done um, to give peace of mind. But sometimes it is making adjustments. Goals change. We've had clients that have accelerated retirement because I was going to work two more years, but I don't want to put myself through that. I'm going to retire early. So, so making some decisions, um, that some life decisions that then have financial implications. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a it's a moving target for sure. <laughs> I like what Jamie said there with you know some of the things we've already done for the client you know and so I, to me the pandemic really raises the importance of a risk management strategy for a financial planner that you know when you're working with the client you're you're not just looking at their investments you know you're you're looking at what could go wrong and. Uh, that idea of managing their risk is, I mean, it's much more than insurance policies. So I'm saying, I'm not talking about insurance. I mean, that's obviously part of it, but, you know, to Jamie's point, you know, you're, when you're taught, when we're working with the students, it's, and we do those case studies that I was talking about where they create the case study. I mean, we're, we're trying to teach them to look for what I call red flags where, you know, okay, they don't have an estate plan or they don't have enough in retirement savings or they're paying too much for their house. I mean, what what would happen if they lost their job you know so kind of stress testing when things are good can allow them to trust you I think more when things aren't good and again I really liked what Jamie said there with what we've already done for them you know so this the pandemic I don't want to say shouldn't be an, an event it, it could be like any major hiccup like 2008 or what where you haven't necessarily planned for it, but you've made them aware of some of the variables in their plan where they're where they're weak or that that's a threat, you know. And so mm-hmm. whether it's a SWOT analysis with them or just conversations, I think that it elevates the importance of that risk management conversation to have with them. What what could go wrong? And it comes down to your relationships mm-hmm. with them and making sure that they're comfortable with what you're doing, your knowledge and knowing what they're comfortable with and really just finding the the best path forward it's a it's a great reminder for our students that being a financial planner is not about picking investments i mean that's that's part of the conversation but there's so much more that you do for people than that so um, it's we don't want these things to happen but at the same time they're good reminders for us good teaching tools that uh, as a planner you're doing much more than than one area brian and jamie thank you so much for for sitting in on the podcast thank you uh jamie how can listeners get in touch with you if they have questions or want to move forward with sure. you? Sure. Um, Brian has my contact information, and you can also find us on our website at coreinvestmentsgroup.com. And so my contact information is on there. So I'm happy to, happy to talk with any alum that, uh, or anybody else who 
who has questions about uh, the program or anything like that. Okay, and for the program itself, um, you can learn more about financial planning and wealth management uh, by visiting loris.edu slash wealth management, or you can email Brian at brian.callback, K-A-L-L-B-A-C-K, at loris.edu. Right, and uh, my final point is just a big thank you to all the alums and friends who have helped our students and care for our students. I can't think of how many times I've said, you know, this summer or this spring when, when people have reached out saying, I know the students are going through a tough time right now, how can I help? And Jamie said earlier, Loris has a great alumni community and it, we do. I mean, it is just so powerful, the relationships and the care uh, and the support that the alums have shown our program. And so I'm very thankful for that. and. Uh, I feel very blessed to have such a wonderful group of people kind of pushing us you know, behind the scenes. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, thanks again, both of you for sitting in and, and thank you to everyone who listened into our discussion for more podcasts, as well as Loris news and features, be sure to visit the Loris daily site at daily.loris.edu. You can also find more podcast episodes on iTunes and Spotify. So check them out, whether it is from the Loris daily site, iTunes or Spotify, we hope you will join us for the next do Hawk digest until then take care of yourselves and each other and go do Hawks.